Welcome. I'm Melissa Durda, and this is Scenario's Cultivate the Soul podcast. Stories of purpose-driven philanthropy from around the world. Over this series, we explore together the intersection of contemplative practices, spirituality, philanthropy, and social impact. Join us as we dive into the personal journey of each guest and what they have discovered about the role of inner work on one's capacity to change the world. To learn more about each of our guests and view our full episode list, please visit synergos.org slash podcast. I'm Thomas Bjorkman. I'm a social entrepreneur and a author, and I cultivate my soul by spending time in silence, in nature, connecting with the source. Today we are joined by Thomas Bjorkman. Thomas is a social entrepreneur and the author of three books, The Market Myth, The Nordic Secret, and The World We Create. In 2008, he started his personal journey by founding the Oak Island Foundation, together with a number of future-oriented thinkers, social entrepreneurs, and changemakers. The foundation's strategic vision is to support a sustainable world where people are creating more well-being for themselves, each other, and the planet. More recently, he has co-created initiatives such as 29k.org and the Inner Development Goals. Thomas's full bio is available on our podcast website. So Thomas, welcome to the Cultivate the Soul podcast. Today we will be looking at who you are and how that connects to the work you do and its impact. Thank you, Melissa. It's uh, wonderful to be on your podcast. I'd like to start today by asking you to share a memory or story from your childhood that made you realize what matters in the world. I think I personally have been on quite a developmental journey throughout life. So I don't think I had very many early childhood revelations of that sort. But I should mention that I come from a very humble middle class or even lower middle class background from rural Sweden and had the opportunity to spend long summers and many weekends on my grandparents' small family farm. And spending time on that farm, connecting with nature and with the circles of life, I think that has had a profound impact on my life that I might not have realized as a child or as a teenager, but I'm realizing that more and more now. And was there a time in your life that you felt like you realized your purpose? And if so, what that is? Well, again, that has very much uh, evolved. I realized very early on that I had a talent for mathematics and physics. I studied mathematics and physics at university, and I, I was the first person in my family, both on my mother's side and on my father's side, that had the opportunity to go to university, very much thanks to the fact that education is free of charge in Sweden. But as much as I loved trying to understand the world from a physics and natural science perspective and a complexity science perspective, and that that understanding later on in life have connected with my more spiritual understanding of our world, I decided fairly early on that I would not pursue an academic career, but rather go into business. And I've started a number of business ventures in IT, in property, and in banking. And it was really during my years as a banker 
and an entrepreneur in the banking business, where I started to connect to inner development, also a bit to, to societal change and starting to understand how our society is, is really not something that was uh, given by God or by nature, but that society is a very profound way created by us humans and recreated and created anew every day by us all, whether we are aware of it or not. And that awareness of our impact in the ongoing evolution of society, that we really can see as, as an ongoing evolution of life, which we really can see as an ongoing evolution of the universe, those very big history understandings and the importance that we as humans can play, both individually and certainly collectively, in this fantastic evolutionary journey that we call life and civilization, that has had profound impact on me. And then perhaps more specifically, working for many years as the chairman of a banking group in Scandinavia, I came across some very talented leadership development consultants who opened my eyes to the fact that this inner developmental journey that we are all on that some might refer to a spiritual developmental journey, but let's just for a moment stay with the more management consulting terms in a development or in a maturation. So these consultants showed me how important this in a development is for our abilities, not only as managers, but as humans, to really understand and cope with the complex world that we are living in. And I was surprised to see how these managers could help both myself and my management team to grow as humans, and how that helped us not only in our business, but also in life generally. And that made me quite surprised, because then I thought, well, if we in business, or at least in part of business, understands this important of not just lifelong learning, but actually lifelong inner growth and maturation, how come that we are not at all talking about that in society? And there I found a little bit of my purpose, to try to bring these insights about the importance of cultivating our inner world from a business setting out to a more general societal setting. And perhaps especially then also combining this with also insights from the business world of the importance of what we in business call corporate culture and the insight that perhaps one of the most important tasks for the top management or even the board of a larger corporation is to cultivate the corporate culture. And if you get the corporate culture right, then most things will sort themselves out in your business but if you don't get the corporate culture right, then it doesn't matter what reorganizations or what new directives or manuals you issue, you will never succeed. And then again, I found it strange that we in business realize the importance of corporate culture, whereas we in society not at all talk about societal culture in that way. And then we have the connection, which I later realized, between these two aspects. The fact that in order to be able to develop a richer and more conscious corporate culture, 
is actually dependent on the fact that the people in the organization have the inner maturity to actually be able to hold and live such a culture. And then, isn't that the same in society? And how can we bring these insights to society? And that really became my purpose, and that became also the purpose of my foundation that I founded after I sold my banking business in 2006. A few years later, 2008, I founded my own foundation in Stockholm called Ekvädet Foundation, which actually means the Oak Island, so the Oak Island Foundation in Stockholm, with a purpose of exploring both practically but also theoretically. I've written three books in this area about the connection between our inner personal development and societal growth and change and development. It's very clear how your purpose developed through your experience in the corporate world and really considering how shifts can be made. We're going to explore in the podcast a little bit later about this inner development and societal change connection. But before we do that, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share with us about what are some of your own inner development practices that really allow you to be most present and show up in the world ready for this type of change? Yes. Again, I grew up in a very secular world in Sweden. I fairly early realized that it was out in nature, in silence in nature, where I had the possibility to both connect with the deeper layers within myself, but also to be connecting to the outer world in a deeper way. And when I say connecting to the outer world, I mean connecting to to other people, to society, but also to nature, but perhaps even beyond nature, connecting to, to the universe as a whole and to this ongoing developmental process that we are all parts of. And some people might say that that is connecting to spirit. I might say that I'm perhaps connecting with the source, but somehow it's out in nature in silence where I can connect to both my inner source, my inner compass, and also the source of the universe. So for me, my practice, which is not daily, but I try to at least do it more than once weekly, is really to spend time in nature in silence and actively trying to connect in this way. And you might call it meditating in nature, but uh, I think that might be a little bit too limiting. I think I found my own practice that I can't give a specific name to. Yes, thank you for sharing that. Nature and silence are both powerful tools that we can use to tap into our inner selves or inner deeper layers, as you said. And I do that you don't need to be spending more than 15 minutes or, or half an hour or something, and you can really have a profound effect on yourself. But then every now and then, I try to go for a longer time, for a week or two weeks, trekking out in the complete wilderness. And of course, in Europe, we are happy to have these opportunities, both in Central Europe, I spend a lot of time up in the Alps, but perhaps my two preferred places is doing this either in the at sea in the archipelago outside Stockholm, perhaps sailing or just spending time on one of the small islands out there, like the Ekvaret Island, the island of my foundation where we have a retreat center, or further up in Sweden, taking the night train up to the national parks that are located north of the Arctic 
circle and where you can actually walk for days without seeing any other people. Wow, that sounds amazing. I can already picture some of those experiences either being out at sea with the vastness around you or the darkness like you just described. So tell me a little bit about the Oak Island Foundation. What is your aim with it? What do you do there? I can see how this clearly connects to your own journey, and I'd love to learn more. Yeah, so it, it started actually as a wish to create both a place but also an institution to explore this connection between our inner personal growth and development and societal change. And as a place, also giving the opportunity for many people to uh, get in contact with nature and really give us the opportunity to, in group processes and, and in individual processes, to use nature as a catalyst. And I mean, there are many places like this all over the world that are using nature in this way. Perhaps the most well-known one might be in California, the Esalen Center, which I was not aware about when I founded my foundation, but that I've visited many times since. And the idea of using a beautiful spot in nature together with retreats and programs is a real, real powerful way of trying to initiate inner transformational processes. So during the summer, we have youth camps, and that's where the, our foundation's work started. So having two-week-long youth camps for adolescents in the age of 14, 15, 16, perhaps a little bit older, very much youth-led as well. So we always have the leadership team of these camps being dominated by young people between perhaps 17 and 25, and then some older adults as well. And that's the full summer. So at least 10 weeks during the summers, we have youth camps. And then for the rest of the year, we do a personal development retreats for adults and some invitational conferences around these concepts of inner development and societal change, where we try to bring together the leading thinkers and academics from Europe and sometimes even beyond Europe that to constantly be on, on a learning journey and to uh, try to establish an exchange of experience and, and knowledge of the latest techniques when it comes to facilitating inner growth and development. So that's really the program out on the island. And then in central Stockholm, we also operate a small hub where we are arranging uh, different uh, seminars and lectures and meetups around these issues. And so starting out with the retreat center on the island, why did you focus on youth as the primary starting point for this work? Yeah, because I think we have to realize, first of all, I might mention a little bit about my bigger theory of change. So I believe that we are actually right now in, again, as humanity, in one of these quite fundamental societal shifts. So I think that we are now leaving modernity behind. We're leaving the industrial society and perhaps even the early informational society and moving into something completely new. And I think that this shift is at least of the magnitude of the shift that happened in, in Europe 300 years ago when we, during the Enlightenment and later the Industrial Revolution, went from 
a medieval religious society into modern industrial society. And of course, in such a shift, there is always both a shift in worldview, but it's also a shift in ourselves. So there is an inner shift and an outer shift taking place at the same time. The deeper the outer shift, the deeper also the inner shift has to be. Most of the things that my foundation are doing, both on the island, but then I should also mention two other initiatives in this area that my foundation is active within. And one is called the Inner Development Goals Project, where we, together with leading academics and some large Scandinavian corporations, corporations like IKEA, Spotify, Telia and Ericsson, where we are trying to take the knowledge and experience from the HR departments within these companies and asking ourselves the question, what are the inner skills and capabilities that we need to help each other cultivate in order to be able to be conscious co-creators of the new society? And through that investigation, we've come to identify 33 specific skills and capabilities, and we've grouped them in five categories. And we are right now working on developing an open source field kit manual when it comes to proven interventions for supporting the development of these capabilities. That's one way for my foundation to sort of develop a framework to try to understand this inner development in a very both secular and psychological language. And then another initiative that we're also doing here in Sweden together with another foundation called the Norsken Foundation, the Northern Lights Foundation, which is a technology for the common good foundation. We are developing a um, digital platform called 29k.org, which is again a non-profit, open source, free of charge platform where we try to use technology to scale and to democratize inner development so that we can really reach many. Because even if we would have retreats all the year around at Ekferet Island, we could only reach a couple of hundred people. Whereas I think that this is something that needs to reach millions. So the hypothesis there is that by using digital tools, we could scale this. So if you understand that this is really my theory of change, that we need to have a broad scale shift in our inner capacities. Some would call it a broad scale of shift in consciousness. This is nothing that you can achieve easily in just a few years. This is a project over even generations. And I think that the time where you are most susceptible to starting your journey of inner development is actually in your youth. And I think the age group that we have focused on, the age group of perhaps 14, 15, 16 years old, that is when you are starting to take your first step into adulthood and you are starting to be able to ask yourself some fundamental questions about yourself and about the world and who am I? And it's important to kindle that flame and try to develop that interest of the inner journey. 
in a playful way. And that is what we are doing at the youth camps. It's really a long-term effort to help a lot of people to start there in a developmental journey early in life. Yeah, so just to go a bit deeper, if someone goes to the 29K platform or experiences retreat, what kind of experiences or activities are they able to access there? So um, very simply put, I think, inner development is always easier to talk about than to actually do. One prerequisite for this to happen is that you feel secure and that you can open up and that you can allow yourself to be vulnerable. So a lot of what we are doing, both on the 29K, but also in real life at retreats or at youth camps, is about creating a safe space where you feel safe enough to be able to open up and to be authentic and to be in authentic relationship and dialogue with the people you have around you. But then that is not enough. And I actually think as a parenthesis that what is going on at universities today, especially universities in the US, but also in Europe, where there is this emphasis on everyone feeling safe and you're not allowed to be challenged. That's, of course, good, but it doesn't lead to any inner development. It doesn't lead to any development, just feeling safe. So feeling safe is a prerequisite, but then you need to be challenged a bit. And that has to be done in a very sensitive and loving way. But I think that it is the combination of feeling safe and being able to open up to new experiences and open up to yourself, open up inwards, open up to the outer world, but then be a little bit challenged. And it is through these a little bit perhaps unsettling experiences that you start to process in a deeper way questions like, who am I really? What are really my values? What is really important for me? And the earlier you start to ask yourself those questions and try to connect with your own true self, the better, of course, it is. I sometimes tell a story about a friend of mine here in Stockholm who was a very successful lawyer. He's not a lawyer any longer. But he was a very successful lawyer, a partner of one of the big law firms here, here in Stockholm. And I think he was about 55 or, or a little bit earlier, like he might have been 53, when he ended up in intensive care with a heart attack. And during that experience, he came to realize that, yes, I am now the successful lawyer that I always wanted to be. But was that really me wanting that life? Or am I really living my father's dreams, who did not have the opportunity to go to law school, but wanted me to become a lawyer. So my successful life so far has perhaps not, not been my life. It's been my father's life. So what should I do now? And how could I have experienced this earlier on in life and connected with a true self within myself instead of a socialized self? within myself. And of course, that socialized self could be something that we get from our parents, but or our peers, or even just from society. I mean, as young people, we take in the ideals of, of society, of peers, of friends, and of parents. And the earlier you can start to see through that, and really connected with your true inner self, 
and values and purpose, the better it is. And even if you might not be able to do that as an adolescent or even a young adult, I mean, even if you're 25, you, you might not be able to do that in, in a deeper, deeper sense, but just being aware of the fact that there is something in there, that there is something called a true self that you can connect to and you can start asking these questions. The, the earlier you do that, the better, of course. And to answer your question, so what do we do then? What do you do at a retreat? What do you do on 29K? It could be these things. It could be to, to try to do these things. But it could also be very much just simpler things, trying to, to develop some of these inner capacities that we call the inner development goals. And that could, for example, be your capacity for compassion. And then there are well-known and well-proven ways to facilitate compassion. There are exercises that you can do, there are conversations that you can have that will develop compassion. And that's the good news, I mean, that, that it is possible to develop compassion. We are not born with a certain amount of compassion. That's the good news. But the bad news is, of course, that it can't be taught in a normal school setting. You need these environments and methods of that some people call immersive learning or transformative learning. And again, I found that doing this in connection with nature and in authentic relating to other people can help you do that. So then we do exercises around compassion. Sometimes it's more cognitive. It might be developing your capacity for perspective taking and seeking more perspectives and starting to realize that the way you view the world is just one perspective and you become aware that other people see the world from different perspectives and you can become curious about how you could start taking in the world from more perspectives. And again, there are methodologies of how you can help people to do that at different levels of development. There are ways to help a five-year-old to start this it's very difficult for a five-year-old to take any other perspectives than their own. And there are other ways to help an adolescent start to do this more. And then even you and I need help in being able to take even more perspectives and actively seeking new perspectives. So that's the beauty about all these inner development and all these different inner development goals that you're never done. You can always deepen your ability for compassion and extend your compassion. You can always increase your ability for sense-making or perspective-taking or creativity or other things. The journey goes on. Yes, it does. No, thank you for explaining that. I have a much deeper understanding of the different tools that are available. And you're so right. It's not available for most people, youth and other ages, to get access to some of these essential questions around who am I or who is my authentic self? This is a way now through this digital platform that anyone can access. I understand your connection for the need for inner development to societal change. And you also mentioned that this is an effort that could take generations to really make the big impact for, say, global societal change. How are you measuring this as you're going? Are you seeing some results? If so, can you just tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I would want to use uh, our final minutes to comment on that and also just 
tell our listeners a little bit about the historical experience in Scandinavia of doing large-scale support of inner development. So this measurement aspect, that is actually one of the problems generally in this philanthropic field or social entrepreneur field, because we tend to want to measure things. But if you're focusing too much on measurement, then it is usually the perhaps very needed, but short-term projects that get priority. I mean, it's much more easy to count the number of schools in Africa that a foundation has contributed to than looking at the consciousness development or the consciousness shift in people or even in populations that a philanthropic effort has been contributing to. So the answer is, uh, no, it is difficult to measure. You can measure this in individuals. And of course, we see effect and we measure scientifically. And one of the advantages of working with, again, these in a development goals is that all these different capacities that we are talking about, whether we are talking about self-awareness, presence, critical thinking, appreciation, empathy, compassion, trust, courage, creativity, perseverance, they can all be measured. You can measure this in participants. But of course, the broader effect in society is very, very difficult to measure. So then how do we know that this is actually worth trying? How do we know that trying to create a broad scale of consciousness development in society isn't just some new age idea? And that's where I need to spend a few minutes on just relating to the story that my colleague and friend, uh, the Danish philosopher and writer Lena Anderson and I, have elaborated in our book, The Nordic Secret. And that is the fact that this was a surprise to me when we started to research this book. And I really found that what my foundation was trying to do, build an understanding for the relationship between personal inner growth and societal change, that was really reinventing the wheel, so to say, in, in a Scandinavian context. Because we had here in Scandinavia, a hundred years ago, or 150 years ago, very visionary intellectuals and politicians who knew that in time of rapid societal change, like we were back then when we went from being the poorest non-democratic agrarian societies of Europe, which we shouldn't forget that that was what the Nordic countries were like. In Sweden, during the last decades of the 1800s, 30% of the working population emigrated, mostly to the US, because we were so poor countries. And then just a few generations later, all the Nordic countries were at the top of the richest, the happiest, the most stable industrial democracies. And these politicians and intellectuals, they knew that in these times of rapid social change, just like we are in today, then it's so easy for us individuals to want to have an external authority to hold on to. It could be a dogmatic religion or an authoritarian leader, an Erdogan or a Trump. But these politicians, they didn't want to be authoritarian leaders. They were firmly committed to build democracy. And they knew that the only way to build democracy is to build it from bottom up. So they wanted to create enough many people or help enough many people to come so far on their inner 
development journey that they have left the state where you need an external authority in a socialized mind and rather have connected to your own true self, connected to your inner compass. And the way they went about a hundred years ago to do this is quite astonishing because what they did, and we tell this story in the book The Nordic Secret, is that they created a lot of what could be best described as today as retreat centers in Scandinavia. So at the turn of the last century or year 1900, there was 100 retreat centers just in Denmark, 75 in Norway and 150 in Sweden, where young adults in their 20s, later on with full state subsidy, could spend six months in retreat with the expressed aim of connecting with their inner compass in order and get the maturity, start the maturation journey so that they could become conscious co-creators of modernity, of the society that wanted to be born. And when this program was at its height, almost exactly 100 years ago, then actually 10% of each young generation had the possibility to spend uh, six months in a program like this. And of course, that created what we today would call a critical mass. And I don't think that we could aim at doing exactly the same today. So I don't think that this is a blueprint for what we should do today. But I certainly see this as a very valuable case study showing that a broad support of consciousness development in society can have lasting impact on society and certainly help in these societal shifts where if we should not just have a top-down approach, but rather release the potential and the energy for emergence in, in society, we need to have a consciousness shift in many people. And then, of course, to tie this into a more spiritual framework, I've been using during this podcast a very secular language, speaking in terms of inner development and personal development and cultivating a number of skills or character traits. But of course, a lot of people would call this a spiritual development. And that is actually the language that was used in Scandinavia back then. It was very secular, but they were talking about, in exactly these words, they were talking about a secular spiritual development. A secular spiritual development for the people. And the term that one used was the German term Folkbildung. And that is actually translated into inner development for the people. So you see, that's the path that I and, and my foundation is on. And so my calling is to spread the knowledge about these things, spread tools around these things, and to help more people get involved with creating this secular spiritual evolution that I think is a necessity for humanity to take uh, the next step. It's a breakthrough or a breakdown. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think it's clear that you have learned so much in writing your book, The Nordic Secret, to learn from what happened in the past. And you are translating this to modern times, not only offering retreats at your island, but also through the digital space that you've moved into that's going to allow a limitless number of people to access these tools. So for those who want to connect and learn more about what you do, your foundation's work, where can they find more information? They can find more information on my private website, Thomas, without an H, hyphen Bjorkman.com. 
or they can look for my books, The Market Myth, The Nordic Secret, or my latest book, The World We Create, where I really tie this inner development story to the, the ongoing evolution in the universe, starting with the Big Bang and then coming up to today and realizing that we all as individuals are really incarnations of this evolutionary force that has been working in the universe for 13.8 billion years and has just recently through us humans become self-aware of itself. And now we as humans with that realization, we cannot just stand on the side and look at this evolution, this societal evolution. We have to realize that this evolution is taking place through us and we need to step up to that realization. Yes, that's so true. I love what you have on your website. You say, we live on a threshold to a new world. Let's give birth to it together. So I think that sums up well what you've just shared. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story, sharing your journey on how you got to do the work that you're doing as well as what this work is. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. It was a pleasure. What I loved about this conversation with Thomas is how he is putting into practice his life's purpose of connecting inner development to societal change. 